By the way, I don't think the Super Bowl is till like 3 o'clock, so you have no excuse anyway, right? Good to see you guys. Uh, praise God. You guys doing well? Better than we deserve. Absolutely. Praise God. See, man, Joe's, his team made the Super Bowl, and he's still here. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 3. We've been working our way through it. Uh, my wife said she was really blessed by Steve's message Sunday. I never hesitate to leave to go somewhere. I, I hesitate to go routinely, and I don't want to be one of those pastors who's not in the pulpit. I, I know that's not healthy and not good, uh, but... Uh, to miss from time to time, I feel very confident, and I always know the message is going to be good. And she said she was really blessed. I'm sure you were as well. First uh, Peter, First Timothy, chapter three, verse three. We've uh, we're looking at the qualifications for an elder, which is really the qualifications basically are for an, are for a mature man of God. And I've been letting you know that uh, many of the things that we see that make up a mature man of God also make up a mature woman of God. Uh, we know that uh, husbands and wives and elders and church leaders are called to, male and female are one in Christ, and we have the same uh, privilege to not only be saved by God's grace, but we share the same essence of humanity, but we've been given different roles. And here we see he delineates the roles, and he calls the elders to be hus the husbands of one wife. And then he gives us the first two verses. It's a trustworthy statement, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, uh, it is a fine work he desires to do. We looked at three different words that are used of elders or overseers, uh, and those were very helpful in helping us understand what the role is. Verse 2, an overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable. The whole message on hospitality, I think, a few weeks back. Able to teach. We had a message on that as well, or two maybe. Verse 3 we are now looking at another verse. Not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. And I want to, you know, because it's so relevant to what's going on today in church, I'm going to take a whole service out and talk about not being addicted to wine. Very important. Because so many professing Christians are actually on their way to hell. Millions of professing Christians who think that they're going to heaven are on their way to hell because they're actually drunkards and they're drinking too much and they think they're going to heaven and it just tears my heart up, man. Even people I know, you know, of that get drunk and think that they're fine with God and that they would not be serious enough to take this small little time that we have on this earth out to make sure that they're right with God and make sure they're not drinking too much and make sure they know what God's word is saying about drinking just blows me away. The Bible says, last day, men, you know, terrible times will come. Men will be lovers of their own selves. And it talks about how they love pleasures more than love, be lovers of God. And many professing Christians have the idol of pleasure and living for self above the love of God. Because if God says, don't be deceived, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, says, don't be deceived, drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. Man, you should, you should examine yourself, amen? You should take that seriously. Absolutely. Because if it says that, and you know it says that, and you're still getting drunk, it just breaks my heart that you're not going to heaven. Because Paul says, don't be deceived. Fornicators and adulterers and revilers, extortioners and effeminate homosexuals. And, and he lists on that same list, don't be deceived. Drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
And I'm telling you right now, in almost every church, there's a group of people that go get, getting drunk together, and they post about it, you know, on social media, and they spread that, that spiritual, you know. And I, I used to be a drunker before I was a Christian, and I knew what it was to be drunk, you know. I see Pastor Steve shaking his head up and down, not because he knew me, but because he was too. Yeah, exactly. And if it was about me, I'd say, yeah, well, anybody who knew me knew I was a drunkard. Doug just raised her hand, our worship leader. Wow, man, your whole church is made up of ex-drunkards, you know, <laughs> the leaders. <laughs> but uh, we all have convictions, you know, not to get drunk. God, God speaks very clearly about this in his word. And it breaks my heart because, you know, when you see those pictures where people are drinking hard liquor, pounding it down, you know. And years ago, years ago, it breaks my heart. I was, uh, you know, kind of a family situation with, you know, my in-laws and a couple of them that were together at the time. You know, I remember uh, Lisa's uh, mom, you know, we were young Christians trying to be an example, living for the Lord. And her mom said, and her mom didn't know the Lord then. She came to the Lord before she died. But she said, yeah, they said uh, another couple there said, you're legal, uh, legal, legalistic. Yeah, that's it. You're legalistic. I was like, oh, why? Well, we don't get drunk, you know. Legalism is uh, trying to keep God's law to be saved. We're certainly not that, amen. Or adding to the scriptures certain man-made laws and teaching them as though they're God's laws. We don't do that either. But being legalistic is not following the word of the Lord, amen. In fact, we should not only be obeying the Lord, but the Bible says in 1 John 5, 3, 1 John 5, 3, that, and it's very clear, by the way, it says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, that this is the love of God, that we obey his commandments, and they're not, a, they're not burdensome. If we really love the Lord, we want to obey his commandments. The more it's a struggle to be obedient, the more you're not in love with Jesus. Now, you could be a Christian who starts to fall in love with Jesus because the Bible says love many will grow cold. The Bible says of the church at Ephesus that their love for God grew cold. It says, Jesus said, I have this against you, but you've left your first love. You could do that. And when it starts, it's harder and harder to obey him and be obedient. And you start being enticed to get drunk and disobey him. You have to look at your love meter, man. You have to say, hey, where's my love for the Lord? Am I praying? Am I seeking the Lord enough? The more I pray and cry out to the Lord and I seek him throughout the day, the more compassion I have for others, the more I tear up over things, the more I hurt over things. And when I don't move, when I'm not as moved like that, I realize I need to pray more, man. I need to make sure I'm close. And I always pray to stay in love with the Lord. But I'll tell you what, it's not a burden for me. It's not a burden. I'm not tempted to go out and get stoned and smoke some pot. I'm not tempted to go out and get drunk. I'm not tempted to go and, you know, snort some coke or, you know, shoot some meth or anything like that. Honestly, by the grace of God. And if I am tempted, God give me the strength to overcome it. But help me get closer to you, Lord. So this is a very, very serious situation. I was looking at alcohol in business and commerce survey. Work alcoholic questionnaire. And they surveyed a ton of people, and the survey was taken in the workplace where a majority of the people claimed to be Christians, 73.8% of those polled claimed to be Christians. However, over half of those polled, 54.1%, believe it's okay to get drunk at parties and celebrations. So whenever you go to someone's birthday party, you go to a wedding, you have a you know, celebration of some sort, which it seems like there's several parties these days that people go to and celebrate one thing or another, it's okay to get drunk at that point. Does anybody have the verse, the chapter and verse in the book where it says it's okay to get drunk with regard to certain t times of the year or certain celebrations or parties? 
Is it, or maybe it's in Second Opinions, chapter 3, verse 2 or something. It's definitely not in the Bible, you know. It's not in Scripture, guys. And this is serious. This is serious when you have so many people getting drunk in the name of Jesus. Now, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink, a brawler. Notice it says strong drink. What's it talking about? When it says strong drink, the Bible condemns strong drink over and over and over and over again. It almost appears like about 20 times in the Old Testament. And 18 of those times is, is certainly in a negative or has a dark connotation, uh, strong drink. Now it's interesting. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink, a brawler. And whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. In 1 Corinthians Chapter 11, the same book that says, don't be deceived, drunkards will not inherit God's kingdom. In chapter 11, Paul talks about those who are coming to the Lord's Supper, and they're not sharing their food, and they're getting drunk. And he says that God, some of them are sick, and they better watch out when they take the Lord's Supper, because some of them, God's even killing some of them. That's pretty, pretty serious, guys. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery or is, brings excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? And I know before I was a Christian, when I was getting high and drunk all the time, which was a lifestyle for me, is it led to all kinds of other sin. I mean, man, you talk about, they call it like liquid courage, right? I remember going down the street, a 16-year-old punk kid, 16 and 17, before I got converted, that, as I, right around turning 18, just being drunk, and I would just see all the cars going by. I was one of those winos almost, you know. I mean, with me and my friends, you know. They were like, Joe, what are you doing? I'd be like challenging everybody in the cars coming down the street. Come on, right now, let's fight. Just a lunatic. And I didn't do that when I wasn't drunk. When I wasn't drunk, I'd, like, if I saw someone like that, I'd go, man, what a... In those days, I'd say, what an idiot, okay? But today, I don't say, use that kind of language. But I would think that's what a, you know, not a very intelligent guy. Alcohol, man. And alcohol makes you do things and opens you up to all kinds of sin. The Bible says, don't be drunk in wine, which leads to debauchery, just sinfulness, man. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? And I'm so happy to be saved, man. And now, you know, I see drunk people. I'm like, man, I pray for them. I feel bad for them. I go, that, that was me. And they think it's cool. I'm like, you don't look cool, dude. You know, you look like you need some help, you know, to your room. And to sleep it off and get right with Jesus, man. Uh, it's, not getting, it's not cool at all. Turn to Romans chapter 13, verse 11. He's talking about keeping God's moral law. It's not his law that saves us. It's Christ that saves us. But if we love Christ, Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. We won't be perfect until he comes. But sin won't be rebellion against God and his word will not be normal if we're truly following Jesus. Because the scriptures say, without holiness, no one will see the Lord, right? Hebrews 12, 14 and 15. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away. All things have become new. And here we see a qualification for an elder is that he must be, not be addicted to wine in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3. So as soon as we look at elders, he cannot be a wine-bibber. He cannot be a drunkard. He cannot be someone who's known to be a drunkard or he lets us know privately he gets drunk. And one of the things I talk to elders about when they come on is they're not going to be a drunkard. They can't be a drunkard. I wouldn't even tap him on the shoulder. We wouldn't, as elders, tap him on the shoulder if they were drunkards. Paul writes, do this knowing the time that is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we, when we believed. It's near. Christ's coming, right? The night is almost gone, and the day is near. 
Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not carousing, check this out, not in carousing, partying, and in drunkenness. Oh, wait a minute, Joe, you, you, you misunderstand that. You're missing the book of second opinions that say we can, when there's big celebrations and parties and weddings, we can get drunk all of a sudden. No, it doesn't say that in the Bible. You're deceiving yourself. Well, didn't Jesus turn wine and water into wine at Cana and got everybody drunk? No, Jesus did not get everybody drunk. Okay, that's a lie from the pit of hell. I'll, I can prove that to you in a little bit. Let us behave properly as in the day. In fact, he'd be contradicting himself because it's the word of Christ. Amen? Amen? The New Testament, Paul calls it the word of Christ. And he warns against drunkenness over and over and over again. In fact, Jesus warned that if you're a bit drunkard, when he comes back, he'll cut you in pieces and put you with the hypocrites. Verse 13, let us behave properly as in the day, not in partying or carousing and in drunkenness, nor in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to his lust. I Meaning if you're walking in Christ, you're putting on Jesus, you're not going to be a drunkard. And one of the things I thought about doing, which I'm not doing, was going through all the tons of different scripture. It would take me all service long and then some, all the different scriptures against alcohol. There's a ton of them. In the New and Old Testament, I could do several messages on that. But I realized, and I realized this a long time, time ago, because I've warned against alcohol several times in this fellowship. And for some reason, people still don't, and I'm not saying there's a lot of drunkards in our fellowship. I don't know of any that are actually getting drunk. Otherwise, we'd lovingly confront them. But, you know, how many people are drinking and saying, I just drink a little bit, but they know they're getting drunk. That's going to be between them and God. Unless we know about it, then as loving brothers and sisters, we need to confront them if we care about them. If you know somebody in your life that goes to this fellowship or is involved in a Christian fellowship, you know they're getting drunk, you need to lovingly confront them. I've had to do that a number of times. One brother came up, had been here for years. I love the guy. He came up and said, hey, my, my wife, she's drinking a whole glass, not glass, she's drinking a whole bottle of wine at night. And she thinks it's okay, but she's getting drunk. They've been here for years. I said to this brother, I said, I want to sit down with you and her together and discuss this. I didn't see him for a week or two. He came back, came up, said the same thing. I go, brother, we need to sit down. This is serious stuff. You know what the scriptures say about drunkenness? They haven't been back here since that second time. Okay? You know? It broke my heart. I don't know. I don't know, you, know I just, you see that stuff, and it's like, man, it breaks your heart because... I'm sure so many of these people still think they're following Christ. And he was saying that she was visibly getting drunk. Alcohol, when it says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And the reason I said I'm not going to go through a ton of Scripture, I'm still going to go through a lot of Scripture. But I'm going to go through a lot of Scripture to show you that when people are, what are you drinking, Renal? Just kidding, bro. <laughs> Just teasing, bro. I know you're drinking water, man. <laughs> if you're, I'd do it privately, bro, if I thought you were getting drunk. He's a swiggy man. He's thirsty. He's Oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> Eric, praise God. So it's interesting. Uh, when you look at the scripture, and we're going to have a fascinating study. I think it's going to be fascinating because I want to look at the scriptures and I want you to understand a fundamental misunderstanding today about drunkenness, alcohol. Is so many people, most Christians, probably 90-some percent of them, think that the wine that they grabbed today is the same thing that they were drinking when they mentioned Jesus turning wine, water into wine in Cana. They just assume it's the same thing. Absolutely not. Okay? Now, there are two extremes. There are 
thousands of churches who claim that every time you see the word wine in the Bible, it's speaking of unfermented grape juice, like Welch's grape juice. That's not true either. And they say, oh yeah, you know, you can't drink wine at all, and wine is bad, and alcohol is evil, but every time you see the word wine, it mentions them drinking wine in the Bible. It, it's, it must be unfermented grape juice, there's no alcohol in it at all, and so forth, and many churches hold that position. It's very easy to refute that position. Okay, Paul tells the deacons not to be drinkers of too much wine. I don't think he's saying don't be drinkers of too much Welch's grape juice, okay? He's, you know, the Bible has, recognizes that fermented wine was a reality in the first century and in biblical times. Uh, however, there's another extreme where every time they see the word wine, they just assume it's the same as wine today. Oh, well, they drank wine then, so we can drink wine today and be jolly and happy and everything else. And No. The Scriptures very clearly forbid drunkenness. And there is a distinction that most Christians miss, which has lent itself to a huge deception, whereby potentially millions of people are going to be damned. So I have to speak the truth, you know? And if you're drinking right now, and you're drinking too much, and you're going over the edge, and you have a conviction in your heart, well, I'm, I'm getting buzzed, and you know, I'm getting, you know, dr- you know I'm, I'm in trouble, or I'm not in trouble, but I'm, man, I don't even mess, I don't want to float my boat near the lake of fire, you know? I, I want to just stick close to Jesus, amen? And... Don't get close to the line is what I, you know, you should get close to a line sexually with another person, a woman if you're married and you're a man, or a man uh, if you're a woman and you're married, or if, you know, you, you know you're getting close to fornication. you got to stay away from those lines. And the same is true with drugs, you know. Well, I'll just take a couple hits of pot, you know. Well, wait a minute, Joe, you're insinuating that two hits of pot is like two sips of alcohol. Well, what I am insinuating is this, is you can get close to the line. I'm not saying you can't drink any alcohol at all. You'll see what I mean by that in a minute. I don't believe, you, I don't believe you're, you're forbidden to drink a uh, very little bit of alcohol, a little alcohol. The Bible, the Bible makes that okay as long as it's not affecting you. But we're going to get into that. But I personally feel, for me, the highest is not to drink at all if you don't need to. Because people assume they were drinking alcoholic beverages for pleasure so they could just get buzzed or drunk. That's not biblical. They did it out of necessity, okay, you're going to see in a little bit. You'll see why they, they drank alcohol. Now, they drank unfermented uh, grape juice. When the harvest took place, it was beautiful. I mean, can you imagine crushed grapes? Some of the cupbearers in the ancient times would just crush the grapes right into the king's cup, you know? And uh, just in Israel, you've got those really dark purple grapes, you know, like the kind you get from Welch's. I've had them, I've had them right off the vine. They're, they're great. And it's something to rejoice in. Uh, but you know what's interesting is when it says don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, uh, 50%, over 50% of uh, those who die on the freeways every year have alcohol in their system. That's crazy. Over 50% of those children born with defects are born to mothers who have, are been getting, have been drinking. Uh, over 50% of police calls take place because, uh, regarding domestic violence are alcohols involved. Over 50% of those crimes by those who are in prison that are committed by, those, by prisoners were committed while they were drunk. Not a lot good happens when people are drunk. I remember when I used to get stoned, I used to get drunk. I don't remember being a productive person at all. You know? 
When I was smoking pot, man, I just wanted to, first you're busting up for a while. Oh, yeah, it helps with anxiety. Yeah, you laugh your head off for about two weeks, two months or whatever. Then after a while, it freaks, out, it freaks you out. You get way more anxiety because now you're like paranoid, you know. And studies have shown that people, the studies where people say, oh, well, it helps with anxiety. That's a lie. Go look at the bigger studies. You'll see that marijuana causes anxiety, okay. And by the way, now it's linked to schizophrenia, okay, uh, big time and violence with young people. I mean, I don't want to, I'm going to get all into marijuana, which I'm not going to do. Not literally, I'm not going to get into marijuana, but you know, I'm into teaching on marijuana. But uh, so I got to stay away from that road. But it's interesting because these, there's extremes. One is, oh, every time you see wine, as I mentioned, it's referring to just unfermented grape juice. And that you could drink that, that's okay, but not, that's not true. Or every time you see wine, oh, it's referring to the wine we have today, so have at it. That's not true either. As I mentioned, there's two extremes. There are 10 different Hebrew, word, Hebrew and Greek words. Hebrew Old Testament, Hebrew is written in the Old Testament, Greek in the New. There's 10 different words, Hebrew and Greek words, that are translated uh, wine. And some of the major ones, I'll be looking at like Ayan, which is the Old Testament word. It's used, it's the most common Hebrew word. Occurs nearly 150 times in the Old Testament. Uh, but it's used, now it's interesting, that word, even though it's translated wine so many times, it's used of fermented wine in Genesis chapter 9, verse 21 of Noah. By the way, you'll go to that passage and those who say, oh, wine always refers to just regular grape juice. It's not fermented. They'll take Noah and say, oh, he really didn't get drunk. That was just grape juice, you know. It's so ridiculous. But there it's obviously fermented wine. It's grape juice that has fermented and become alcoholic. But it occasionally refers to unfermented grape juice, as in Isaiah chapter 16, verse 10. Chapter 16, verse 10. Uh, the, the Hebrew term shkur appears about 20 times, as I mentioned. And that is typically translate, translated strong drink. Uh, in the King James, 21 times is translated strong drink. And it's translated uh, strong wine, same word, in Numbers chapter 28, verse 7. The Greek word that's most often translated wine is oinos. Okay, if you're taking notes, it's O-I-N-O-S. That Greek word oinos is used over 30 times in the Greek New Testament. And it's used of fermented grape juice, which says don't be drunk with wine, but you fill the Holy Spirit. You can't say that word oinos is not speaking of fermented grape juice, alcoholic grape juice. It is. Isaiah 15 or, I'm sorry, Ephesians 5, verse 18. But also it can refer to unfermented grape juice, as it does in Revelation chapter 19, verse 15. Okay? In fact, oinos is used both for fermented and unfermented grape juice in the same verse in Matthew chapter 9, verse 17, which I think is fascinating. That's where Jesus talks about putting new wine into the old, you know, into an old wineskin. And if you do... It'll burst because it's old and, and the, the new wine will become fermented eventually and then it'll break it and thus it'll be fermented wine. So it's used of fermented and unfermented wine in one verse. My point is this. Every time you, some people when they say, oh, well, when you see wine, it's just speaking of wine. No, that's not true either. Sometimes it's speaking of the fruit of the vine, the fresh fruit of the vine. Sometimes it's speaking of uh, fermented wine. And number three, sometimes it's referring to water or wine that has been diluted, or I should say straight wine, that has been diluted by water, mixed with water. Okay, so we're going to start to understand this more and more. Now, when you look at these texts, it's quite interesting in Scripture. 
My premise for this is going to be this. The wine that is so popular today is not only different than the wine in the New Testament times, because typically when you see wine that was typical for drinking, not just by the Jews, but by the ancients that lived around them, they mixed it down because it was considered very serious to just drink straight wine. Isn't that interesting? So the wine that you read about in biblical times often refers to wine that has been mixed by a few or several parts water to one part wine. That's important to keep in mind. And it's also important to keep this in mind, that the wine that we have today is not typically or often naturally just produced from grapes, but it's fortified with more alcohol. Do you understand that? I'll get into some of the details to back up my premise in a little bit. So what's crazy about this, when you think about it, it's not only different because the wine in biblical times that they typically drank was mixed with, heavily with water, number one, but number two, the wine today is even stronger than if they would have drank straight wine then because it's fortified today so often. So when people are saying, oh, you know, Jesus turned water to wine, man, it's cool. And the Bible says, don't be deceived, drunkards won't enter the kingdom. They're under this huge deception. Uh, you know, it's interesting because the distilling process whereby they were able to make hard liquor, whether it was bourbon or tequila or vodka or what have you, did not exist in biblical times. Do you understand that? So when the Bible forbids over and over again strong drink, it's not forbidding bourbon and vodka. forbids that too, evidently, obviously. But it's not forbidding tequila and bourbon and, and, and you know, vodka, because those drinks did not exist in biblical times. So the Bible warns against strong drink. It's talking about just straight up wine that's unmixed. And that's pretty heavy when you think about it. You mean, I'll go to hell if I drink just a little bit of that really strong drink? No, not if you're not getting drunk. But guess what? It doesn't take much strong drink to change who you are, how you think, to alter your state of consciousness. Well, where's the line? I don't know exactly. I just know I want to stay away from it. How's that? God knows. Well, yeah, God knows. And Well, what if I just get buzzed? Well, how does God look at you? I used to just get buzzed sometimes. I always wanted more, though. But I'd get a buzz, alcohol or, or pot, but I'd want more. But you know a buzz? You ever see that sign they used to have? Buzz driving is what? Drunk driving, Okay. And then they'd explain what they mean. I mean, you may be legal, but that doesn't mean just because you're buzzed, you're still not in a dangerous zone and you won't hurt someone. It's interesting, though. Because, you know, fortified... Listen to this. I thought this was interesting. See, before the distilling didn't happen until you had, like, in the Middle Ages, guys. Long after the Bible was completed. Long time, long time after the Bible was completed. That's when they started making the hard alcohol. So when the Bible's referring to strong drink and warning about it, I'm going to give you more and more biblical background, and then we're going to start looking at some biblical texts that I think are very, very enlightening. But it's interesting. Before the uh, distillation process was invented in the Middle Ages, uh, typically fermented alcohol could be anywhere from seven per, as low as 7%, okay, to 11 12%. So you could just eat, drink the straight alcohol, and it could be as low as 7 or 8%. Like today's beer, you know. I'm not sure what beer is right now, but a low percent. And, and, that was even, and that was still called strong drink, and you weren't against it. 
But now you have alcohol. According to the North, and I found this online today, I was looking at what different people were saying about uh, the alcoholic you know, fortified wines today, and they're kind of all over the map. It was hard to find an authoritative stance, but according to the North Carolina Alcoholic Beverage Control Commission, the term fortified wine refers to any wine with an alcoholic concentration higher than 16% and no more than 24%. However, I found fortified wines with much higher alcohol content called fortified wines of different varieties, Brandy's dist uh, distilled wine, and brandy's concentrate, concentration of alcohol is, and brandy ranges from 35 to 60% alcohol. One famous brandy, cognac, is 40% alcohol. Okay, it's considered a wine. And so a lot of people drinking cognac. Well, Jesus turned water into this stuff. No, he didn't. Okay. Uh, William Patton, a biblical writer on alcohol, writes, As to distillation by which alcoholic liquors are now principally obtained, it was utterly unknown to the Hebrews, and indeed to all the world in ancient times. A secular writer, right? I thought this was interesting. Uh, came to the same conclusion. Neolithic farmers soon learned to ferment their newly domesticated grains and grapes. Biblical accounts of early man mention alcohol some 250 times, usually wine, but beer and vinegar as well. Some versions talk about strong drink. It's a secular writer. Some versions of the Bible talk about strong drink, but that's misleading. Distillation was a medieval invention. No one made really strong drink before the 13th century. It's over a thousand years after Christ. So when the Bible's talking about strong drink, it's not talking about vodka, you guys. You get it. You know, it's talking about straight up wine. Now, Keep in mind, in those times, you know, and you're going to start seeing people leave this service, you know, walk out of here, one drunkard, one drunkard at a time, you know. Praise the Lord, too. I love you. Two messes with everybody. I had to mess with her. <laughs> uh, but if you think about it, man, uh, and this is what's crazy, guys, is that when you see the word wine, keep in mind, you couldn't, a lot of you, oh, it's always talking about grape juice. Grape juice, you can only have fresh grape juice for a little bit of time. After the harvest, right? And then after the harvest, what would happen to your grape juice? It would ferment, right? And become alcoholic. By the way, fermentation is a corrupting process. Isn't that interesting? We partake of the unleavened bread of Jesus because leaven is a corrupting. Jesus was uncorruptible, you know? Jesus' blood was not corrupted either, amen? So it's interesting. That's why I love, you know, grape juice for communion. But at the same time, the early church fathers... They used real wine. But when you read the early church fathers, which I have, I love second, third century, the disciples, the apostles, of the, you know, the disciples of the apostles and their disciples and their disciples, guess what they talk about when they do communion? Because they didn't have refrigeration. They didn't have canning lids where they could preserve things for, with, keep them from fermenting. So guess what the early church fathers talk about? When you take communion, they talk about making sure you mix down the wine with water so it doesn't affect people. Isn't that interesting? That's the early church fathers. I've seen this for years, so I've always realized people just don't get it. And part of that is the fault of us pastors, myself included, even though I speak on this issue from time to time. I should have probably spoken on it more. I bring it up every, you know, I speak of drunkenness a lot in my messages. You'll catch it. But uh, it's interesting because when you look at the secular writers, the most famous of the secular writers, the Greek philosopher 
the Plutarch wrote, we call a mixture, listen to this, we call a mixture, talking about of water and wine, we call a mixture wine, although the larger part of the component part is water. Ah, he's saying straight up, guess what? We call a mixture, which is mostly water with a little bit of wine in it, a little bit of grape, fermented grape juice, we call that wine. That's what we call wine. Okay, so there's a disconnect. A lot of people don't understand the biblical background. Anybody heard of the Greek poet Homer? Wrote the Odyssey, everybody has, or most of you have. He stated that civilized Greek society, listen to this, he said they use a ratio of 20 parts water to one part wine in their beverages. Now they would do this often because the water was infected, could be infected with parasites, could be, uh, you know, uh, high acidic, it could be, or it could be, be a lot of problems with the water. And wine would be a disinfectant for the water. And they'd mix it in. Also, it would give the water a little bit of flavor. They, didn't, they couldn't go to the store and get a Powerade or a Gatorade or anything like that, right? So that's what they, they mix it in. The famous Greek physician. Anybody ever hear of Hippoc Hippocrates? Okay, yeah. he's like probably the most famous ancient uh, physician. Like Homer, he considered, quote, this, his words, 20 parts of water to one part of the Thracian wine to be the proper beverage. 21. Wow. Pliny the Elder. Now, Pliny the Elder was contemporaneous with, he was born not many years before Jesus died. It was contemporaneous with the apostles. Uh, he was a, uh, a philosopher. And it's interesting. Uh, he mentions a more liberal ration of eight parts water to one part wine. Interesting. According to this encyclopedia of psychological disorders, and I'm not citing any of these ones, these people as though these are, these are great places to go, just citing sources, ancient sources and modern sources, a couple modern secular sources like this one. According to the Encyclopedia of Psychological Disorders, in ancient Greece, it was, quote, considered barbarous to drink wine that was not diluted with water. It was considered destructive. Uh, another Greek writer in, uh, from Athens states, quote, in daily intercourse to those who drink it moderately, wine that speaks with water, it gives good cheer. But if you overstep the bounds, it brings violence. Mix it half and half, and you, are, you get madness. Unmixed, bodily collapse. Meaning, man, don't you stay away from mixing half and half. And that's the unfortunate way for wine. That's wine that's weaker than our wine today. Don't mix it half and half, man. You know, because if you do mix it half and half, uh, he writes, you'll get madness. And unmixed, just straight up, you know, strong drink, you'll get bodily collapse. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. That's what I used to do. I'd lay down and see the, all the stars just going, you know, speeding past me, be too drunk to walk, you know. Well, Joe, I just get a little drunk. Really? What if I said I just commit a little bit of adultery? Would that be okay? No. I just commit a little bit of homosexuality. No. no, man. Don't get a little drunk, man. Don't get drunk at all. Amen? Amen. Now, it's interesting. The Jewish Talmud, okay, which is written, or oral traditions based on tradi uh, oral teachings just before Christ, a couple hundred years before Christ and after, and a couple hundred years after Christ and just a little bit beyond. According to the Jewish Talmud, it states that uh, wine that does not contain, now it's interesting, it, it allows for eight parts water to one part wine. It allows in one section three parts 
water to one port wine as acceptable as for drinking. Uh, and then it goes on to say, anything beyond three parts water to one point wine is strong drink. The Talmud understood that to be strong drink. And so strong drink in that estimation is even if you put two parts water to one part wine, one part water to one part wine, they, the Talmud calls that strong drink. Straight alcohol would, of course, be strong drink. Now, am I setting that as being, okay, this is what strong drink is? No, because guess what? The Jews, Jewish rabbis, were all over the place as well. In fact, the rabbis, if your water was not mixed with wine and mixed down substantially with water, your wine was unmixed, they considered it unclean, and the rabbis would not bless it. It would be considered unkosher, and the Jews wouldn't drink it. So that's quite interesting. I'm, I'm trying to... Is, is, the biblical, is the biblical background helpful to you, as is me? I think it's very, very helpful to get a, a bead on this. Uh, now, look at these scriptures. You, can, you don't have to go there, but here's some scriptures that condemn strong drink. Woe unto them that, rising early in the morning, run after strong drink, that linger till twilight, till the wine inflames them. Isaiah 5.22, Woe to them that are mighty for drinking wine, and men who are valiant to mix strong drink. Isaiah chapter 24, verse 9. They do not drink wine with a song. Strong drink is bitter to them that drink it. Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a, wine is a scorner. I already mentioned this one. Strong drink is raging, and whoever errs thereby is not wise. Strong drink is only mentioned one time in the New Testament. It's mentioned in reference to John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1, verse 15. It says, For he shall be great before the Lord. He shall drink no wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Now, my understanding is because, and I'm going to prove further, even from Scripture, that just the word wine can refer to just mixed wine with alcohol that's mixed with water. And strong drink is often put with wine because it refers to just straight wine. Because it's interesting, over and over in almost every reference in the Old Testament to strong drink, it speaks of wine and strong drink. You know, isn't that interesting? Wine and a strong drink, what's the difference? Wine was mixed down. It was known as a common drink that was mixed with water. You'd be considered a barbarian. The Jews considered it unclean, and they considered it uh, destructive, and they considered it barbaric uh, to drink just straight-up wine. Now, 2 Maccabees, now, we're not Roman Catholics. It's not in our Bibles. It's, it's not Scripture. It's an apocryphal book. And, uh, but it gives you, we do believe that Maccabees and so forth, that they have some historical truths in there. We just don't believe they're inspired by God. So as a historical textbook, uh, we read in 2 Maccabees chapter 15, verse 39. Listen to this. For as it is hurtful to drink wine, or wa for it is hurtful to drink wine or water alone. Why is it hurtful to drink water alone? Because it could be impure, right? A lot of the pools were affected, you know? For as it is hurtful to drink wine or water alone, and as wine mingled with water is pleasant when it's mingled with water, and delights the taste, even so speech finely framed delights the ears of them who read the story, and there shall be an end. So it's talking about, so now keep in mind, this was written with between the 400 years before Jesus. This was the way they thought, the Jews. It, water alone is bad because you can get sick. But wine is also bad alone, right? Because you get drunk. So they mix the two together. Now, now I want you to go to Revelation chapter 14. What's Revelation chapter 14 have to do with this discussion? A lot, actually. Revelation chapter 14. Verse 
9 talks about those who take the mark of the beast. This angel flies to the mid-heavens, warning those who take the mark that they'll be damned. Verse 10, verse 9. Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is what? Mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night, those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Now it's interesting. Uh, if you have a translation that, of the New American Standard that has uh, footnotes, an, one that has more footnotes, it'll let you know that something is being stated in the literal that's not being stated in the verse. And one reason I like the New American Standard Bible is because it's a very literal translation. Unfortunately, it's not as literal as I want it to be here. So I had to resort to other verses because I've looked this up in the Greek, and when it talks about wine, that they will be, when it says in verse 10, uh, the, the wicked, that they will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength, which is mixed in full strength. It doesn't actually say mixed in full strength. It actually says unmixed in the Greek. It's unmixed wine. In fact, listen to the Net Bible, a very popular translation online. Net Bible. That person will also drink of God, uh, the wine of God's anger that has been mixed undiluted in the cup of his wrath. Literal, literal standard version, very literal version, right? He also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God that has been mingled unmixed in the cup of his anger. Okay? The international standard version will drink of the wine of God's wrath which has been poured undiluted into the cup of his anger. So he's saying that this wine of God that he's pouring out on the wicked, the wicked, it's, it's wine that's been unmixed. In other words, what's he mean when he says it's unmixed wine? It's what? Undiluted. It's undiluted as the translations also say. It's in full strength. Why didn't God just say they will partake of the wine of his wrath? Wouldn't that be enough? No, because when people understood wine, they understood it to be what? Mixed with water. That's why he throws in the word unmixed, meaning guess what? This is an ordinary wine that you used to know as oinos commonly that you drink. This is going to be wine in its full strength, meaning his wrath will be the wine is imagery. The wine will be in its full power. My point is, is that because in the Greek language, when they're reading oinos in that culture, they're thinking of water mixed with wine. Unless it says strong drink. But he makes them understand, make sure they understand that the wrath that falls on the beast worshippers will be like unmixed wine. Not just regular wine, oinos mixed with water. So, I think that's quite interesting. Go now to Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs chapter 23. And when you get there, go ahead and look at verse 31. Or verse 30, I'm sorry. Those who linger long over wine... Now, it's just saying wine. Often it's referring to wine mixed with water. So you could also say, well, that's okay. Then I can pound down the water that's mixed with wine. I can just pound that down all day. No, because you're still not supposed to get drunk. Amen? You can still get drunk, 
by drinking a whole lot of, especially if it wasn't mixed down a lot. So look at verse 30. He says, those who linger long over wine, those who go to taste mixed wine, interesting. So those who go to taste mixed wine, it's called a parallelism. So those who are going, lingering long over wine, they're lingering long over mixed wine, it's been mixed with water, they're still going to get drunk. They just linger over it all day long, right? One beer may not get you drunk, but after six or seven or ten or fifteen or after just two for some people. Women, by the way, get drunk twice as fast as men. So women who think, oh, well, I, I, drank, drank, just, I drank about as much as you, so they'll be twice as drunk as a man often. But So it's talking about mixed wine. If you linger, notice that you're lingering long over it. That's forbidden. Look at verse 31, though. Do not, now, he, now he looks at another type of wine. Do not look on the wine when it is what? Red. When it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. Wow. Why not be, and that word look, it can be used a lot of ways, a lot of times it's used of intent, like of Lot looking back, Lot's wife looking back at Sodom, you know. Why not look at it when it's red? Because it's tempting, perhaps, but when it's red, it's un-what? It's unmixed. It's hard drink. So he says, watch out for wine that's unmixed and lingering long with it. But then he also says, watch out for, don't look at wine when it's red. Is that a sin to look at it when it's red? Well, in and of itself, if you just see red wine, you're not going to be like, oh, no, I'm going to turn into a pillar of salt. I'm not saying that, okay? But if you look at it and you're enticed by it, say, wow, it looks so good, man. And then you say, I'm going to drink some wine to get drunk. Well, then you're in trouble. Or you say, I'm not going to get drunk. I'm going to have a little. And you still get drunk. Then you're still in trouble, you know, because you, you keep drinking. Well, what if I just have a little bit of strong drink? Well, the New Testament prohibition, prohibition is Drunkards while here at God's kingdom. I don't know where that line is, but I personally won't even look to drink hard liquor or what I should say biblical hard drink, strong drink, which is just to me, my understanding is straight wine. We could differ in our opinions, but I'm giving you a lot of evidence. And you could look at all kinds of different, you know, whether it's different backgrounds, you know, you could look at guys they disagree with on a lot of theology, like Dallas Theological Seminary, Dwight Pentecost, and, uh, you know, uh, or Norman Geiser, actually, who's actually a very good apolog apolog apologist. He has the same view. John MacArthur study Bible. I don't agree with MacArthur in a lot of areas, but his study Bible is very clear, strong drink, refers to straight wine. You know? That's because when you look at the scholarship, it's pretty clear. Now, and it's, 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 it's a problem, too. If you look at verse 31, do not look on wine when it is red, meaning it's just straight wine. And that's not even the fortified wine, guys. When it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down as smoothly, at the last it bites like a serpent. Isn't that interesting? At the last it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. I think there's a play on words there. Because, you know, I haven't seen this point out, and I could be wrong, because if it's not pointed out to anybody else, but anybody else in the future, I'm probably wrong. I have seen this point out. The word red there is from Adam. The word A-D-A-M in our English. It's the word that's from, it means it's used, the same word that's used of Adam. Red means red. I've told you before, Adam is, means red, right? It means man, but it also means red. And it's a form of the same word that's of Adam. And it's kind of interesting because I knew that. And Adam, you know, partook of the forbidden fruit and died. 
But then it hit me. I thought, ooh, it's interesting. The serpent comes right after the planned words with red and Adam biting you. Isn't that interesting? So just like the forbidden fruit can lead to death, so alcohol, the serpent loves to use alcohol. How do I know that? I know that very clearly because in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, when it says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, there's something going on there. Because in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, that's when the Lord says, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. That's how you're going to be an overcomer. Put on the whole armor of God so you may be able to stand against the wiles, the, the, the deceptions, the, the schemes, the methodias, the methods of the devil. So to overcome the methods of the devil, I need to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Right? Amen? But Ephesians 5 verse 18 says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So if I'm going to be strong in the Holy Spirit, I can't be drunk with wine. And if I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm not strong in the Lord and the power of his might with his armor, and now I'm more susceptible to the devil's deceptions. Are you with me? That's why 1 Peter chapter 5 Verse 8 through 10 says, be sober. Be sober, brothers and sisters. We could just do a whole study on all the scriptures that talk about being sober. We do a study on all the scriptures that associate drunkenness with sin. And all, there's so many different studies we could have on this. Amen. But I wanted to get really fundamental as far as the meaning of these words. And, uh, but when it says, Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Would you stand a better chance in the wild when you knew there was a lion hunting you, drunk or sober? Sober. You might get eaten really fast and have a lot of courage for a moment. <laughs> then you get eaten really quick and go to hell. Wouldn't work. Wouldn't be good. Be sober-minded. Be vigilant. For obviously the devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And look at what it goes on to say. This is quite interesting. Verse 31, do not look on wine when it is red, and then uh, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things, and your mind will utter perverse things. You know, we talk about LSD and ayahuasca and these kinds of things as being hallucinogens that open you up to the demonic world. Marijuana is considered a hallucinogen. Did you know that? It's still considered a hallucinogenic and dangerous drug by the federal government. There's a lot of money in it, though, so that'll probably change before too long. Uh, but guess what? Alcohol, too, man. You, you'll see strange things, it says. I remember one time going home as a kid, 17 years old, 16 or 17, looking in the mirror and seeing my face go, just change all kinds of looks. Oh, like, I'm an old guy. I'm this guy. I'm that guy. I'm like just my same self in all these different images. I'm like, whoa. I went to bed, and I'm like, what in the world? Because I didn't usually hallucinate like that on alcohol. I did that that night, and I wasn't smoking any pot that night. Didn't drop any acid. Verse 34, and you, will, and, and you will be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea, or like one who lies down on the top of a mast, on a ship he's talking about. They struck me. I did not become ill. You thought you didn't become ill. They beat me, but I did not know it. When shall I awake? I will seek another drink. That's the life of a drunkard. Getting all messed up, getting beat up, going through all kinds of hell, waking up the next day, thinking I'm not going to get drunk again. Then the next, uh, for me, I remember, we smoked pot routinely, but we, a lot of times we got drunk you know, on the weekends and stuff. Then we have just the big parties and stuff. 
just bad news. It was not good. I was empty, and I was trying to fill my heart with pleasures, and I was just blinded, not realizing the answer was in Christ, not knowing that. Then when I came to Jesus, now I'm, uh, the joy of the Lord is our strength, the Bible says. Amen? That's where our joy is. Now we have the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the peace, the joy, the long-suffering, the gentleness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the meekness, the self-control. And those, those are beautiful things. And now my life is just enriched with the Lord. And the more you seek Him, the more of Him you, you have. Draw near to me, He draws near to you. Amen? And if you're feeling empty or, you know, what have you, seek the Lord. Amen? He'll satisfy you. Otherwise, you know, the Bible talks about the, the, the things that the world goes to are broken cisterns. They're wells that says that cannot hold water. They don't satisfy. The Bible says the heart of man is never satisfied. It says it's like hell, which is continually receiving souls. The heart of man just says more, more, more. It's never satisfied. So I remember being, before I was a believer, man, I was always looking forward to get high again, looking forward to, you know, smoke pot, get drunk, whatever. Various other drugs, you know, got, did a couple other types of things we don't need to get into. But I was doing those things because I was, you know, searching for something that would finally fulfill me. But it always left me empty, man. But the day I came to Jesus, guys, I was satisfied in him. And then that journey has just been more of a blessing ever since. And, and if, if you're like, man, I've been seeking Jesus, but I, I want to have more of that fulfillment in him, just totally die to self. Surrender all to Jesus, man. And the more you surrender to him, the more you empty yourself of self, the more you fill yourself up, you're filled up with his spirit, the more love and peace and joy that you experience. And there'll be times, yes, for sure, where you'd be like, you know, have a tough day. Uh, you could be sad or even get, you know, depressed over, go through some kind of funk. But the answer is always Jesus. Then you need to start drinking again, amen, from Jesus. Not alcohol, but drinking from the everlasting river, the river of life. Jesus says he'll give us a river of life, amen. And like, it'll be the Holy Spirit bubbling up, he said, in your gut, right, in your belly, and flowing forth as this unending river in John chapter 7. Remember the woman at the well? Jesus says, man, you've been married. He didn't say man, but he said you've been married all these times, you know. Oh, she married like, you know, four times or something, five times. She's married five times. And the guy you're married, the guy you're with right now, you're not even married to. And the, there was a picture there. She kept going for water. I'll give you water and you'll never thirst again. Give me water so I don't have to come out here again to this well. Jesus was talking about everlasting life. Man, there's true satisfaction in Jesus. Amen? Amen. So, uh, I think it's vital that we understand how important it is you know, and I want to use a few proof texts that people sometimes use. I see people use these online to justify getting drunk. Uh, they misuse Psalm 104, verse 15, which, which in the King James says that wine makes glad the heart of man. So, hey, look, it says right here that wine makes hard the, hard, uh, glad the heart of man so we can get drunk a little bit. Is that what it's talking about there, though? Every modern translation I've looked at does not say glad, by the way. It says it makes man thrive. Okay, modern translations. That word is better understood to be thrive. But, why, but by the way, what if, if you're a King James only and you say, well, I only go by the King James that says it makes the heart glad. Well, guess what? The same verse says corn and wine makes you glad. Do you get drunk by drinking corn or eating corn? No. It makes you glad because God satisfies us. Amen? And, with, and by the way, you have to understand, today we just take, you open a can of corn, right? Or you just buy an energy, or you buy a drink of, or whatever. I don't do energy drinks, but you just buy some kind of drink that's non-alcoholic, and you're glad. But in biblical times, man, when the harvest came in, when the feast came in, and you were, your crops came in, 
The food and the drink made your heart so happy. You were so blessed. It was a big deal for the farmer's crops to come in. And the context in so many of these passages, like Deuter in Deuteronomy chapter, verse, chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, it says, of, it says of the Feast of Tabernacles, when they gather together for the feast, we're told they are to, quote, rejoice in your feast. So they're supposed to rejoice in all the food that came in, all the, all the, all the, all the uh, grapes that came in and so forth, corn, whatever. They're supposed to rejoice in that. So because wine is put with rejoicing doesn't mean they were getting drunk. You see what I'm saying? To say, oh, it means they're getting drunk. Now you're doing what we call eisegesis. You're reading into the text something it doesn't say. In fact, it's interesting that uh, some we use Zechariah chapter 9, verse 1, which reads, quote, For how great is his goodness and how great is his beauty. Corn shall make the young men cheerful and new wine uh, the maids. Okay, new wine the maids. Okay. Now I went ahead of myself here. In Psalm 104, uh, in Psalm 104, he's talking about rejoicing over the feast. Okay. That as far as, you know, wine makes you glad. Yeah. And I point out the context has to do with uh, receiving from the Lord's bounty. Okay. It's in this text. I'm sorry, in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 1, where it also mentions corn in the same verse as making you, uh, making you glad. Okay. So, but it's interesting. Listen to Acts chapter 13, verse 17. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. God has not left himself without a witness. Amen. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Do you understand that? So in ancient times, they received incredible joy when their crops came in, when they ate and they drank from the crops. Amen? Amen. So don't say, oh, well, the joy must have been because they're getting drunk. No, that's putting your 21st century experience from thinking, if I get inebriated, man, I'll be happy, into their experiences, which was not the same, because they mixed down. And by the way, in Judaism, up till just recently, it has been frowned upon for centuries and centuries to get drunk. Did you know that? More than most cultures, because it was considered very wrong. Now, some will use Jesus turning water into wine at Cana and say, hey, look, you know, Jesus was getting a bunch of people drunk at Cana. But then again, that's reading our understanding of wine today into Jesus' days when they understood wine differently. Because for them, wine was mixed with water. So when people are passing the brandy around at a, at a, and getting drunk and saying, well, Jesus turned water into wine, probably millions of Christians have used that line. At least hundreds of thousands. Because I've heard it several times. They're saying, oh, well, look what Jesus is doing. Well, they're obviously not understanding that they didn't understand wine the way we understand wine. They understand it as a radical admixture of mostly water. Okay? That's one thing to keep in mind. And it wasn't fortified, right? And number two, Jesus always kept God's moral law. And if he kept God's moral law, he couldn't get people drunk. Because Habakkuk chapter 12, 2, verse 15 says, Woe to you who make your neighbors drink, who mix in your venom even to make them drunk goes on to talk about to see their nakedness and what have you. It's considered a sin to get people drunk. Do you think Jesus was trying to get people drunk? Yes or no? Yes or no? No, absolutely not. Okay. Uh, I've got just five minutes left, according to this clock in front of me. Uh, is that clock accurate in front of me, bro? That's not accurate. It is? 
I'm going to go with Jonathan. He's got the plug over there. What, how much time I got left, bro? What's that? It's only a minute fast, so I got four minutes. Oh, it's a minute fast, so I got six minutes. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, let's see if I can get close. Sometimes I'm like, oh, great. Uh, but it's interesting because that would have Jesus contradicting his own word, you know. Now, it's interesting as well uh, when we look at this as well because we don't only see that in Habakkuk, but uh, we also see that strong drink. There's scriptures that mention, I think it's, I'm trying to, I forgot to write down the reference, but there's a scripture in Deuteronomy that talks about God blesses you with food and different things, and he mentions also strong drink. Well, how a strong drink's a blessing. Is that contradicting the other verses? By no means. Nowhere does it say that he blessed you with strong drink so you can drink it and get drunk. Okay? Strong drink was still something very, very valuable in those days. Uh, but it wasn't meant to get drunk with. Well, how would it be valuable? At least three different ways. Strong drink was used to mix with what? Mix with water. So you could have something to drink that would kill the bacteria or what have you in the water. Okay, that first of all, when you mix it with water, it decontaminated water and made it safe to drink. In fact, this is interesting because Paul tells Timothy in the verse we started with that an elder is not to be one who, and obviously I'm talking about elders as well, but this goes for all of you, and I want to make sure that these messages were ethical to everybody. And I want everybody here to be able to be strong in their understanding of what the scriptures say here so you can help other Christians, those who are professing Christ who are getting drunk, and you say, hey, bro, you might be at a wedding and the guy next to you is just getting hammered. And he might get an accident on the way home and it might be his thing he does. Everyone just gets hammered and gets drunk. You might be able to say, hey, you know, it doesn't always go over well. You know, I talked to a guy next to me, a really good friend of mine back in the day. Uh, a lot of you know him. He went here for a while. He moved to Fraser Park. He died a few years ago, named Dave Nelson. And uh, I went to a wedding with him and he, and he was claiming to follow Christ and he's fallen away and he was drinking too much. I said, Dave, man, we're believers. You're getting, you're totally drunk right now, man. And then he didn't want to sit by me anymore. I understand. I'm, a, I'm a kind of a killjoy at a party, I guess. If you're, get, if you're getting drunk, you know. And then uh, we didn't talk for a little bit. And then he was called me up sometime later, and he was going to drive his car off the highway because he was so stoned. He couldn't make payments on his house anymore. He had his dog, which was his best friend, in his car with him. And now, actually, he was on a, the pass road. He said, Joe, he goes, I need some help. He goes, I'm, I'm, Man, I gotta watch that clock. This so I didn't get it story. I didn't even think about mentioning. It's in my deal. Anyway, I, I, he, I said, Dave, and, and by the way, he's gonna kill himself. He's gonna drive off the road. He's stoned on pot at that time, you know. And I just said, Hey, Dave, you know, uh, I, I mean, I, he asked me a question. He said, Can you come back to the Lord when you've really fallen away? And I would, he, I, he woke me up from a dream. I, my leg was in a, a sling because I, I tore a, I didn't tear it, but I stretched a, some kind of ligament. And I'd been playing football just before that. So my wife got the phone. And I, she wakes me up from, it wakes me up from a dream. It's like 2 in the morning. I don't know. It's late. And in my, in my dream, a pastor was on a hillside. And he's asking us, or out in the, like a men's retreat, but outside, if someone really falls away, can they still come back? And nobody's answering the question. Everybody's just standing there. And I'm just waiting for someone to ask the question. I want to just let someone else answer it. No one answered it. And I raised my hand. Of course, the prodigal son. Boom, I hear the phone ring. I get on the phone. First thing he says to me, Joe, when someone really falls away, can they come back? I go, Dave. <laughs> the Lord's, I thought the Lord was speaking to me. I'm like, what are you saying, Lord? It was for you. I shared that with him. 
He came over my house, picked Lisa and I up. We drove around for a while, went to a donut shop that was still open. He memorized one verse a day for the next year or so, you know, came back to the Lord, you know. But uh, you ha- sometimes it pays to speak out because he knew deep down I was the guy that loved him, man. I was the guy that told him the truth. Be a friend, faithful to the wounds of a friend, deceitful to the kisses of an enemy. But number one, look at what is, is listen to what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.3. Timothy, many scholars believe that Timothy wanted to be a strong testimony so he would not taste one drop of alcohol. He would not even dilute his water with alcohol. He was a teetotaler. He was like, I'm not touching one drop. But guess what? Paul says, no longer drink water exclusively, but use a little, not a lot, use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. In other words, Timothy, guess what? You can mix a little bit of wine in your water, Timothy. It's not going to kill you. It's going to help your stomach. So P- Timothy was probably getting sick from the water, saying, I want to be totally abstinent. Paul said, you can mix a little alcohol in. Mix a little bit of wine in. So God forbid that I would be legalistic if I said you can't have even a little, little bit of wine. Yeah, I don't. you mix a little bit of wine in your water, praise the Lord. Don't get drunk. Amen? Well, what if I'm just drinking straight wine? Well, that's strong drink. That's dangerous. That saith the scripture. Number two, they would use it as a disinfectant. Remember the, in, the, in Luke chapter 10, what they did? The, what the Good Samaritan did? Poured alcohol on his wound. That was probably strong drink because it would be a better disinfectant. And they would use it to disinfect wounds. Then they'd put oil on it to soothe it and help it heal. Number three, strong drink was used as a pain reliever. Proverbs chapter 31, listen to this. It's not for kings, O Lemuel, Solomon writes. It's not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to drink, to desire strong drink. For they will drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to him whose life is bitter. If someone was dying and perishing, their life was bitter. It was a pain killer. Amen? In fact, what did they give to Jesus? You know? What did they give to Jesus on the cross or try to give to Jesus? They offered him alcohol. And you'll read that in Matthew chapter 27. I'm looking at my the clock. I'm out of time. But in Matthew 27, they tried to give him. It was, it was called soldier's wine. It was a cheap wine. They'd mix some gall or myrrh into it as to help relieve the pain of the excruciating pain of the person on the cross. So they could stay there longer and, 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 and they could be an example. And Jesus rejected it in Matthew 27. Because he wanted all his faculties to be intact while he was suffering for the sins of the world. Are you with me? That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Let's be like Jesus, amen? I'm not saying you can't take a painkiller when you're dying, but thankfully right now they have anesthetics, amen? Uh, Anesthesia, they have painkillers. But even the painkillers, like morphine and stuff, can be dangerous, right? People can get addicted to them. So they can be dangerous too. We have to be careful with everything, amen? As Christians, the best thing to do is to be sober, be vigilant. If your adversary, the devil does walk about as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I know this kind of message doesn't make for, it's not seeker-sensitive, easy believe, just come everybody. No, I speak the truth. And I love the fact that people that love truth come to our fellowship because I know they truly want to please God. We just had a men's retreat back east. 55 guys from 15 different states outside the country. Some guys from Canada, guy from Germany couldn't make it. And most of these guys never met each other before. Last year, a lot of them came back. Most of those guys came back, and then there was 10 new ones. And man, that thing was buzzing with excitement from the time we got there to the time we left, the people that just loved Jesus. I love being around like-minded people that love Jesus, that love the truth, amen? And God's doing that all over the place. There's all kinds of men and women. We're just one ministry that is firing people up, but make sure your ministry 
is to fire people up. And that means if you're going to be used by the Lord, you need to make sure you're not drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but you're filled with the Holy Spirit so God can use you. Amen. I say this because I love you guys. And as a shepherd of, of a flock, an under-shepherd of the great shepherd Jesus, I need to do my job and guard the sheep. And alcohol is one of Satan's greatest tools to damn souls in these days. Father God, we love you so much. I thank you for all my brothers and sisters that are here today.